Hey, what's up? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd. It's Thomas Drance. Drancer, of course, Canucks Insider, also covering the team at the Athletic Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. On an hour early again, uh, so the 2023 Blue Jays can do what the 2023 Blue Jays do, which uh, is lose a game 3-1 because they uh, they can't hit. Um, that was great yesterday, so they'll do it again at 1.30 today uh, here on Sportsnet 650. Big day on the show. It's the encore edition of the crossover with Donnie and Dolly coming up uh, at noon. It's here. the encore edition of the migraine. <laughs> that's 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 what I'm calling it in my head anyway. Migraine. I like that. Yeah, it's good. Do- um, Do- Dolly's already been texting me this morning, telling me about all the updates that he wants to give. Great. Yeah, I'm that, excited. I'm not. First update. <laughs> what's what's his parking situation today? Yeah, seriously. How, did you get a ticket? Put some money in the meter, Dolly. Okay, do it before you come on the show. Um, so that's coming up at noon. Uh, we'll speak to Ryan Clark from ESPN. At eleven thirty as well, and hey, it's uh, it's a Canucks game day. They're going down the road to Abbotsford to play the, the uh, Seattle Kraken tonight, and we are officially one week out from the start of the regular season. This time next week, we'll be teeing up the opening night game between the Canucks and the Edmonton Oilers. Okay, that's exciting. It is exciting. I was thinking We're a little, so close. I was thinking a little bit about the stakes of that game. Actually, game one, if game one and two. The, the fact that you open with a home-and-home home against the Oilers. Because the thing about the Oilers, right, is they're a very, very serious team. And, and what I mean by that is not that they have a chance to win the Stanley Cup, although they do. It's that, like, Leon Dreisaitl in particular, from what I understand, has that understanding of mm. the game within a game. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the CEO of winning. He's the guy who comes in and kind of, pushes everybody, outworks everybody, has some of that old Sedin mentality. And the Edmonton Oilers have shown us what they think of this Canucks team. They think they're soft, and they think they're fragile. And the Edmonton Oilers, because they think this way, and they do, they're not going to, like, what do the greats do? They find motivation wherever they can. Yeah. So for the Oilers, like game one, game two of the season, you're going to be judged on what happens in May. Kind of, it can be yeah, hard to get up for it. But I also think the Oilers, they've made such a big deal of like, in some ways, I think it's going to be easier for the Oilers to get up for game one and two because it's like the opening statement to their season. For and sure. They want to show everyone how serious but they I, are, but, right? But I also think it's more than that. I think they're going to believe that they can effectively stagger the Canucks to the point where they won't recover in time <laughs> to contend for the division. <laughs> it's like we can legitimately put a fragile, soft opponent on their butt Right off the bat, and that's one out of the way. Yeah, and then we can focus on the other four. It's uh, yeah. I mean, they're two big games. I'm, I'm not as much as it sounds and, ridiculous to say. And I'm not kidding. I think the Oilers think this way. Yeah, because everything I've ever heard about Leon Dreisaitl is that Dreisaitl's, you know, and I'm not like gonna throw around Michael Jordan, but the the same idea of using an edge, everything you can find mm. that's an edge. Well, is used. I just think if you follow everything that's coming from the Oilers camp too, like I don't think this is a like, you know, Tampa Bay, Colorado, we're going to coast in the regular season 
team. I think this is a team that's yeah. like, we're out for blood right away. Well, we want to show everyone how good we are and how serious we are right from the start. And their skill set is per- perfectly calibrated to win in the regular season it because of sure their power is. play excellence, sure which is, what, is why I'm picking them to win the division and, and, and going away potentially. Like, um, I, I think this is a big year for them. And I, I'm telling you, they're going to come at the Canucks. They're going to think that they can end their season in game one and two. They're not, they're not right, but they might not be wrong. Right. They're going to convince themselves. Here's of the other anyways. thing. It's like, it's like, remember after they beat Calgary and then it came out that in the Oilers locker room, they were like, if we beat this team, we're we going to end, end this it. team. Yeah. They will leave. This team will be blown up. And they use that as motive. Like, that's how they think. This is how the Oilers are calibrated. And by the way, it's really cool. Yeah, even if they're wrong about it. I mean, they have to do something to, as you said, give themselves that motivation. Yeah, it's not about accuracy. The it's thing about for me, it being it, cool. It the, thing. the thing for me is, like, even if the Canucks go 0-2 against Edmonton, it's like, well, Edmonton's going to beat a lot of teams this year. No, I disagree with you. If you go 0-2 to Edmonton, all of a sudden you go into Philadelphia for oh, a midweek game, and sure. it's high stakes. you got to salvage it after that. Well, that's... But it's like, in isolation, losing two games to Edmonton would not be a big deal. You know what I mean? It, it, for this team, it's a big deal. But having it at the start of the season, and then you have to go and you know make sure it doesn't spiral out of that. For this team, it it's a big a deal, and I guarantee you, Edmonton knows that. Uh, so that's uh, next week. Again, we are we- a week out from the, the Canucks beginning the season by hosting. <laughs> can, you, can you tell the I'm Edmonton excited Oilers. for games that count? Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm like already building these narratives in my head. <laughs> the Oilers are coming to end the Canucks in the first game of the season. Let's go. Uh-huh. Um, tonight, as mentioned, they play in Abbotsford against the Kraken. Uh, not on TV tonight, but it is streaming on the Canucks YouTube page. And of course, Batch and Riccio will have the call here. On Sportsnet 650. Um, Riccio, not Tony? We sure? No, yeah. I don't think it's we'll his have to check. Um What if Riccio was just like, I don't want to talk to Drance right now. <laughs> I'm just going to say I'm Tony. <laughs> that would be that would be understandable <laughs> and par for the course for Dastardly Dan. Um, Ian McIntyre, by the way, out at practice, has the update. Hughes, Cole, Juleson, Miller, Bluger, DiGiuseppe, Garland, Mikheyev, Demko mm-hmm. look like they're not in the lineup. And I throw Pedersen in there as well, who, of course, we already knew. He's coming back from missing a couple days with the cold. Yeah. Yeah. So. And as a result, because obviously they like they they called up a bunch of players from Abbotsford basically for this game, because if you if you removed all of those players that you just listed, yeah. they wouldn't have had enough to ice the lineup. So they yeah. call up six uh, players. She loves Philip Johansson, Max Sasson. Uh, Atu Ratu, Linus Carlson, and Arshdeep Bain. So you'd figure all of them to get a chance to get in the lineup tonight. So a couple things. Like let's let's do highline items. Mm-hmm. Couple things we're most excited or or most looking forward to watching and evaluating today. Right. Number one for me is Besser away from Miller, mm. Kuzmenko away from Pedersen. Right? Yep. Seattle's sending a pretty interesting lineup here, right? Like, it's not their NHL group by any means. There's no Yan Gord to, you know, no. punch Matter, no Matty Beniers. Punch Irwin's ticket to the American League. But, you know, they still have a pretty good team. And the thing about the Kraken is that it doesn't matter who they have. They're going to play the exact same way. And it's going to be deeply, deeply frustrating mm-hmm. for, for any opponent that they ever face. I'm curious to see what Kuzmenko and, Pe- and Besser untethered from the engines on their lines, are able to contribute, especially if they're given a chance to play together, right? If we see, like, Kuzmenko, Puce, Suter, Besser. Yeah. You know, the onus is going to be on those wingers. 
I think, to be creative tonight, and I want to see them, especially now that we've only got two preseason games remaining, like, I want to see them kind of rise to that challenge, especially because to this point, I mean, I know Besser had the four assists, but I didn't think that second line, like, looked great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they've been still getting going, and I, you know, we talked about it, like, I don't know, I don't don't even think that's, I just don't think they generated a lot. I think because Miller is the driver on that line, and I yeah. think we give Miller a bit of a longer leash in preseason because of his status as a veteran. Well, and we consi- give Besser more the of a consistency leash. that he produces. So I, to me, I look at that and like, yeah, okay, that that makes sense to me. It's not necessarily a red flag for me that that line hasn't no. really clicked. No, me like neither. I don't think the Pedersen line has really clicked. No, they haven't either. You know? I don't. I don't think this team has really clicked five on five in terms of generating looks. To be totally honest yeah. with you, uh, but. I'd like to see Besser and Kuzmenko this close to the season kind of show us something, especially because I do think there's stakes there, right? Like, at the end of the day, I don't know that their perch in the top six is necessarily secured indefinitely Mm -hmm. with this head coach, given the fact that they both sort of, you know, can struggle to play the two-way game that the team wants. Like, I want to see Kuzmenko keep his shift short. I want to see him win some battles on the wall. I want to see Besser do the same. Uh, that's one of the things I'm looking forward to tonight. I mean, I think it's definitely interesting that Phil DiGiuseppe is not playing in this game, but but Besser and Kuzmenko are. And I mean, look, a, a part of this is no Hughes, no Miller, no Pedersen, no Demko. You know, you want to send some NHL-level star power uh, to Abbotsford, right? So that's Kuzmenko. That's Besser. You're still giving, you know, Philip Roenick will play in this game. So you're still giving the fans in Abbotsford a some high-level uh, you know, up up the lineup players from the Canucks, even though you're not getting, you know, Pedersen, Hughes, and Miller in this game. Yeah, McWard away from Hughes. Mm. That feels like one that matters, right? Because yep. if you're going to open the season with McWard as your sixth defenseman, you kind of have to know, too, that he can play and hang hold up if it's like McWard and Carson Soucy on your third pick. Well, the whole... <laughs> The whole theory of what they're doing requires that, right? Like, yeah. like he's not going to be stapled to Quinn Hughes. So, right. great. Hey, you can do it next to Quinn Hughes, but we're going to play you elsewhere in the lineup. Uh, is it the theory of what they're doing, or is it the theory of what they're doing until they find a better option? Yeah, but, like, that, the way they've spelled it out requires Cole McWhorter to be able to partner I've, with a bunch of different guys. I've never owned a bigger fade position on a Canucks preseason talking point, though, than the defense by committee approach. Like, I am absolutely selling any notion that that's how they'd prefer to approach this in an ideal world. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. But There's it's no still going to be interesting to see how they use McWard, I it think, is. right? Who they partner him with, you know, how they get him out there, what situations they get him out there. Do they do they stick with the flexible defense by committee thing in this game and switch the pairings around a bunch? Or do we see more settled pairings? Because I do think one of the, you know, if we're just talking about the kind of raw horse race for the the roster spots here, one of the things to watch, now Noah Juleson is not getting in, but Brisebois and Will Lannon will play in this game. Pretty good sign for Noah Juleson. I would think so, which I find very interesting because he hasn't been getting those looks with Quinn Hughes. Cole McWard has. But then you would think you see Noah Juleson included with the guys who aren't playing, who are all stone-cold locks to make this team. And I find that pretty interesting that Noah Juleson's in that group. Yeah, I think there's – I mean, look, it is interesting for sure. But I also think – and we we can ask Dolly about this a little bit too. You know, one thing about Noah Juleson that does not apply to Willannon or Brisebois is – there's a real chance he'd get claimed, mm. right? The lefties, especially Brisebois, who has a one-way deal. The mm-hmm. se- like, he's got two years left on his deal. It's one way the second year. That's cumbersome. 
for not every team, but for a lot of teams. Yep. So that's working in his favor. Will Annan has been around a long time, right? Like yep. at the end of the day, too, you know, there's a there's a and I don't think this is fair because I think Will Annan is totally fine in the NHL level and and probably will get in for the Canucks and I expect him to play well. I expect that first pass to be vital, in fact, for <laughs> what this team needs. But you have a career like Will Annan's had for this long to this point, and you grow a reputation, often unfair, of being an AHL player. Right? Like, yeah. Will Annan's name on waivers, people are like, well, it must be September around the industry. Not fair, but how people view it. He's kind of like the defense version of Sheldon Dries. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. similar age, like, really productive at the AHL level, but people just don't... Well, there's not, like, that tantalizing upside of, like, ooh, this guy was on waivers. Interesting. And and I think both guys have actual, like, could be have roles, whether it's 7th or 8th D or 13th forward, on really good teams. Like, mm. I, I, you know, this is not an indictment of guys that I think are totally NHL caliber. Um, like, I, and I don't think quad A either. Like, I don't think they're AHLers who can give you some games. I think they're NHL caliber they players. They can be a part of part of the roster. Right. Yeah. yeah they're NHL caliber players. Role. And, and yeah. there's a distinction there for me. So, you know, I, anyway, Juleson is a righty, still young, played pretty well toward the end of the uh, season, two-way deal. You know, that's, that's, He's by far the highest waiver risk. And he's also just group. P- before we see if there is a trade or a waiver pickup or anything like that coming down. I mean, he is the obvious backup option to the Cole McCord experiment, right? So you almost need him around in case, yep. you know, you're a period and a half in against Edmonton and you think, uh oh, we're not, we don't like how this is going, right? Like, and he's taking two minor penalties and the Oilers have cashed in on both. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, so you, you kind of need Noah Juleson around just to have that insurance. Don't think that's to where a you're stretch, going. by the way. Like, I don't think that's a stretch. No, of course not. So, here's one more. I want to talk okay. about one more thing I'm interested to see tonight. Does Seelovs get back in? Because he hasn't played in the preseason since that Calgary, since Calgary game. you got to think he does. I, right? And I think him. there's an element of, you look at all the players they called up, you know, and obviously they're all ineligible for waivers, but this is also, like, these are guys who are going to play big roles for Abbotsford. So I do think there's an element here of spotlighting these players for the Abbotsford crowd, and Seelovs first and foremost in that. He's going to be the guy down in Abbotsford, get him the game in this building, give him a chance to rebound a little bit from that Calgary experience too, right? But, like, yeah, Atu Ratu, I think, you know, going to get a shot here. Sasson, Carlson, Baines, like all guys who you would, who figure to play significant roles for Abbotsford were the ones getting called up here. You know, the other thing that I'm going to be watching too is the kind of wing trio of Hoaglander, Beauvillier, and Dakota Joshua, not jockeying for a position on the roster, but I think they're jockeying for spots in the lineup. Who's going to slot where uh, among the four lines. And I think they're also jockeying to lock down a spot when Mikheyev is healthy, right? And I mean, this is kind of the last chance before the true dress rehearsal game on Friday to really move the needle for the coaching staff and kind of convince, like, hey, can like, will Niels Hoaglander get a chance to play more top six minutes in this game? Can he do enough to, uh, you know, to displace Anthony Beauvillier from that top line? Like, that, to me, is maybe the most interesting battle is what do those three guys do and how does that shake out when they're putting the lineup together next week? So I was, I'm, I'm working on a piece at the moment and, un, you know, this is basically unrelated, um, but I was chatting with, well, it's related to McCaff, but I was Got chatting it. with Rick Celebrini, right, who was the mm-hmm. uh, famed local physio and, and sports performance expert 
um, works in a, an executive capacity on player health and recovery for the Golden State Warriors, and obviously does some work with the Whitecaps, was a longtime member of the Vancouver Canucks staff as well. And, like, apropos of nothing, we weren't talking about Mikheyev specifically, but he mentioned, and it reminded me, of another speedy Russian winger who had dealt with a high-profile ACL in Pavel Bray. Mm. And I've been trying to figure out ways to discuss Mikheyev's, like, our expectations and, and restrain where our expectations should be about Mikheyev. And I think I've been struck. Like I think I've been struggling to do it as well as I want to, or as clearly as I want to. Mm-hmm. In part because this isn't a negative take, right? Like it's not about su- supporting a player, being criticizing a player. It's that you know when you're a speed-based athlete and you sustain an ACL injury, an ACL tear, whether it's partial, whether it's full, and obviously the severity can differ. And you're operated on to repair that tear. There is, you know, it, it is a very difficult recovery in terms of returning to, you know, you can return to health, mm. but returning to full capacity, full performance is a totally different conversation and it can take some time. And so, you know, the reminder that Burray dealt with that torn ACL during the 1995-96 season served sort of for me as like a, a as like um you know a, a lights on moment where you know the next year that Bure came back in 1996-97 he scored 23 goals in 63 games mm-hmm. and this is Pavel Bure we're talking about this is a guy who was a consistent at that point 50 goal pace yep. guy and the next year he did it again 50 goals right like the next year no question 50 goals but there was that one season performance lag. And and I don't know how well you remember it, but I certainly do, where, you know, the club had acquired McGillney oh, yeah. and things started to spiral oh, against yeah. the team. But Bure looked not bad. He was still Pavel Bure, but he wasn't the Russian rocket. Yeah. It wasn't the, the, like, way. the mind-blowing combination that everyone was hoping from Bure and McGillney when they brought in McGillney. For right? sure. Like, people, like... I mean, I remember as a kid being well, like, McGillney, oh my goodness, this is going to be incredible. Oh, yeah. And well, and McGillney outperformed him. Yep. Right? I mean, and and not by a little bit. Like, McGillney was, you know, a 30-goal guy and was healthier and more durable. Anyway, I just wanted to bring it up because it was a reminder to me of, like, we've actually kind of dealt with this, or at least we've seen it. Now, uh, no, McKayev's no Pavel Bure. I don't think that's a breaking news. <laughs> yes. But he's a speed-based sound player. sound like Rick Dollywall. Like, Silly Golson, no Mark Messier. <laughs> I don't see Mark Messier right now. <laughs> Probably because I'm not watching a Lay's commercial. You, you can you can, you should run this take by them later. Hey guys, I got a take for you. Ilya Mikheyev, he's no Pavel Bure. I, I, I'm just saying this because I think Mikheyev's going to require some patience. And the idea that we've had, oftentimes, or that the inbox has had, or that the conversation around this team has had, where. Every time they change up the first line, right? Beauvillier goes yeah. up there. He's he like, well, a he's a Mikheyev placeholder. Yeah. And it's like, you know, asking Mikheyev to be what he was last year before the surgery, but after the torn ACL might be a bit much. Asking him to be that with the play driving that he showed in Toronto is definitely going to be a bit much. But I think he's going to have a spot in the lineup. Like, because oh, he for needs sure. that time to to start working his way back to Absolutely. full potential Lily McKayev. So I still think it's interesting, whether it's the top line or the third line or the fourth line, like 
in some ways, it actually makes it a more open fight between Beauvillier and Joshua and Hoaglander because, yeah, we don't know where Ily Mikheyev is going to slide in. So no matter what line you're on of any of those guys, like you could potentially be at risk of yeah. losing your spot. And I think that amplifies the importance of all of them performing over the next couple of games here to really lock down and, and not just like like to earn because I think what all three of them are still looking for is where's my place in the lineup, right? Where's like the spot where I fit really well and the coach trusts me and the line that I'm on has a clear identity and I know what I'm supposed to do. Because I don't think there's, obviously we know all three of those players can help an NHL team in the lineup, but they're just looking for, okay, this is my home. Like Phil DiGiuseppe has found a home in the lineup. You know, Pew Suter and Connor Garland have found homes in the lineup. Those guys are looking for homes right now. They're looking for, this is my like baseline spot in the lineup. And the coach knows I can go there and do the job. Um, By the way, a a comment in the text box notes that ACL surgery and recovery has come roughly 10 million miles since 1996. You've flown. And then he responds and corrects himself and calls me a clown. Failing to land a clown insult, by the way, (laughs) is a very bad look on you, buddy. Wash that makeup off. But I just want to note, he's actually correct, obviously. Mm-hmm. One, one of the biggest differences is the surgical procedure used to require, like, Burry was in a cast for six weeks. Mm. And now now players walk out. You walk out of an ACL repair, which is unbelievable. Yeah. But there are fundamental things. Like, the human body is still the human body, right? We know more about rehabilitation, rest, especially the importance of rest. But, you know, like, there are certain immutable things that that remain not always true but largely the case um acls take a long time to get back from they're yeah. very serious and i mean injuries. look the beret one is a, a relevant vancouver example but yeah. there, like there's lots of examples across sports of guys taking some far time more, to get far back. more recently yeah exactly right of taking some time to get back from an acl antoine roussel Right. I mean, there are Tom Wilson last season. Like, yeah. I don't know if you watched Tom Wilson skate last season, but my goodness. Yeah, that's probably the most like front of mind one. And it, yeah, it's so recent. And and it know. was so noticeable. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I think it's definitely something that's worth bearing in mind and where McKay fits and, you know, what role he's capable of playing is going to be really interesting when he does get back in the lineup. But uh, yeah, I mean, I still think it's hugely important for, again, those three guys, Hoaglander, Bovillier, Joshua, to do everything they can also, to strengthen their position in the Someone suggesting that McDavid had it a couple of years ago. He did not. Just want everyone to know. Connor McDavid did not tear his ACL. It's a PCL. There you go. Um, All right. Significant. We are going to take a break here. Ryan Clark from ESPN will join us next. And then coming up at noon, it is the crossover with Donnie and Dolly right here. Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Um... We'll get Ryan Clark from ESPN on the line here in just a second. Uh, a little tease for our, our live radio listeners. Just before the end of the show, Drancy, we get to do a fantasy football update. So we get to spread our wings a little bit here because the people show is off today. Normally they do it. So uh, you get to drop some hot fantasy football takes on the listeners to end the show. 
if you want. I've never, not that I've ever known you to have a fantasy football take that you're desperate to share. So So we'll do that before the end of the show. But right now, as mentioned, uh, very pleased to be joined on the line from ESPN covering the NHL. He is our guy, Ryan Clark. Ryan, thank you as always for doing this. How are you? Good, good. How are you gentlemen doing this? I guess we're still what? Morning, afternoon, it's, getting close to afternoon. It is just but weird. How are all of yeah, you? we're we're in the morning. So, we're doing well this morning, I think. Um so, I don't know if you've heard, but one of the the big talking points here in Vancouver this week has been Rick Tockett, you know, everyone always wonders, okay, who's going to play with Quinn Hughes on the blue line? And the the message from Rick Tockett has been it's not going to be one partner. We're going to do a, a defense by committee approach. We're going to change it throughout the course of the game based on the situation. We're not going to have just one guy. And that's going to go for all the pairings. They're all going to mix and match rather than have set pairings. When you hear that, that philosophy of, you know, flexibility, doing it by committee rather than having set set pairings, what's your reaction? It's a couple of things. The first is it's something you've seen with elite defensemen before where teams will shuffle through partners to try to find the right mix. So, like, when I was covering the Avalanche, that was really one of the biggest questions they had before they got Devon Taze was, like, who was going to be the permanent partner for Kale McCarr? So, initially, people thought Nikita Zadorov because he played alongside Tyson Berry. It gives you left, right, big, small, puck mover, stay at home. It checked a lot of boxes, and it just didn't work the way people would have thought because the quickness McCarr has, you had to find the right partner. They tried doing it with Ian Cole. It worked for a little bit, but they still kept shuffling through, went to Ryan Graves. They found a strong partnership there, but then comes the trade for Devon Tays, and then lo and behold, they are such perfect partners to where it's like that's what makes them one of the best deep pairings in the entire league. And Dallas is going through it right now with Miro Heiskanen, where, like, they've moved him to the right. And one of the big questions in Dallas is, it's like, how do you get a right-handed shot to work alongside Miro Heiskanen that perfectly complements him? And Quinn Hughes is that level of defense. And, like, let's not get that confused. Like, Quinn Hughes is a top-ten defenseman in the NHL. He does everything you want him to do. So, if you're the Canucks, like, sure, you probably want to experiment to see what you have, but not only that, but you want to be able to maximize who you put alongside Quinn Hughes because that's one of those things you don't want to get wrong, not that you're looking to get things wrong, but finding the perfect partner, as close to the perfect partner as you can for Quinn Hughes, that is such a big thing because as as he can find success, that's going to dictate so much for the Canucks, not only in terms of the five-player defensive structure, but in the sense of what you can maximize out of that partnership. Ryan, do you buy, though, that it's a team's preference to mix and match, or do you think it's more likely to be a response to a player personnel issue? It could be a mix of both. Just hmm. because, I mean, the thing about Tockett is what? We're still talking about he's had less than 40 games of coaching that team, so he hasn't even had half of a season to coach this team. And even within that, there's little information he has about some of the parts that he has, especially with that defense. Like, he's not really had the greatest line of games with, with Philip Ronick. Like, so there's still questions about what that is. Carson Soucy is new. Ian Cole is new. So while you might have ideas and have watched film on that, those players, that's three guys, half of your top six right there, that you're still trying to find out how they're going to work because they come from different systems. Like, yes, the roles that you expect them to play in Vancouver could be similar to what they've had elsewhere, but you still want to see how they're going to fit in. And that's the reality of this team is like, 
half of your defense right now is technically new. Yes, Ronick was there last year, but again, because of the injuries, like there's still questions that got to get answered, as well as the same thing with Susie and, and, and with Cole. And so in terms of mixing and matching, like, yes, it's probably the preference in the sense of how do you gain a strong enough feel for what you have, but also it's the player personnel discussion of, well, when you haven't had these players for a long time, again, you can't really say definitively what you would do. Whereas if you look at Vegas, and maybe that's the worst example, but Vegas has had its decor around for long enough to where it knows what its first pairing, second, and third pairing is. It knows who works well with one another. It knows who can do what in certain situations. Whereas with the Canucks, those are questions it's still trying to get answered right now. How, how important do you think continuity is? You know, you mentioned Vegas, who just was so locked in on those defense pairings, and obviously they'd made a lot of changes, but they also had a core of forwards who'd been together since the inception of that franchise as well. How important do you think continuity is, just from an overall team-building perspective in the NHL, if you're trying to be that, that real, legitimate, elite Stanley Cup contender? It's massive. Just look at the last three teams that have won it, the Tampa Bay Lightning's continuity extends all the way down to their farm system, how they draft, how they develop. Yes, you bring in pieces from the outside, but it's players that you think can fit into their system. Colorado is the same way. Like, yes, they've had these players like McKinnon, Rantanen, when he's been healthy, Landis Scott and McCarr. But you think about all the players they brought in from the outside. They all fit the traits that the abs were looking for. And it's the same thing with the Golden Knights. Like, we talked about how there's fewer of the misfits, the original misfits that are there, but they've since been replaced by players who fit the structure of what they do. Like, Jack Eichel fit the structure of what they did, and you saw it in the playoffs where people were like, who knew he had this kind of two-way ability? Well, the Golden Knights did, and, and, and so did Bruce Cassidy, which is what made him this all-around player. And, like, while, yes, they had to move on from Riley Smith to afford Ivan Barbashev, Ivan Barbashev is, uh, excuse me, is another example of a player who fits what they do in the sense of they can play that two-way style or they can create a turnover on one end, score a goal on the other. It's what we saw them do against the Dallas Stars. It was what, either game one or game two in overtime that allowed them to take a, a, a series lead. And so, yes, it's about finding that continuity, not only in the sense of you have players who fit your style and your structure, but who can mesh together well. So that way, when you put out your nightly lineup, you know what you are, what you can do, but more importantly, if a change needs to be made, what alternatives you can toward, turn toward. Ryan, the Canucks are going to be facing a pretty interesting-looking Seattle Kraken team tonight in Abbotsford. It's not a loaded, you know, uh, NHL-ready version of this team, but one guy who continues to get looks for them at training camp uh, is Shane Wright. Um, what has Shane Wright shown uh, at camp so far, at least as far as you understand it? Um, is there a chance he's breaking camp with the Kraken's NHL club? From what you hear, it there's promise, but it's the understanding, too, of like breaking the NHL roster would be really difficult for him. And here's why, if we could just do like a quick summation of like what's going on with, with the Kraken. Your three C situation in terms of in terms of your centers right now are Maddie Beniers, you have Alexander Winberg, who's likely going to be your two or three C, Yanni Gord, who can alternate between those roles as well. And then you bring in Pierre Edward Belmar to be your four C because he's one of the stronger four C's around. So that takes care of you down the middle. 
And then if you look at wanting to go to the wings, who do you take out of the equation? When Andre Burakovsky is healthy, he's probably one of your most dangerous scorers. Jordan Everly's a veteran who can do a lot of different things. Same thing with Jaden Schwartz. Oliver Bjorkstrand, they fell in love with him the minute they got him because he fits exactly what they want to do with that two-way style. Jared McCann, you know what? We ain't going to talk about Jared McCann today. Like, I've learned that saying that name in that market, you just don't do it. So we'll, we'll, we'll just we'll skip him. Um, now I'm probably going to get hate mail from Van Curry. Like, you jerk, but thank you. But then there's Brandon Tedeff as well, who is like another example of a Ford that fits what they do with the two-way. But then it's like they brought in Yamamoto for depth. Ely Tolvin and like, Tolvin turned into God mode coming to Seattle last season. And so that's just it. It's like, where does Shane Wright fit into this conversation? Because it's not that the Kraken can't play young players. They can, because another name we just forgot about was Ty Cartier, who impressed for them in the playoffs and had as strong of a of a rookie season in professional hockey as one can have playing in the AHL. He was rookie of the year. And so that's just the thing with Shane Wright is where does he fit in? But also going back to what we said in the last segment about continuity, Shane Wright bounced around a lot of mm. different places last year. To be able to give him one year, and if it's in the AHL, which it looks like it could be, to give him that one year in the AHL, it could do a lot in terms of giving him continuity in the sense of style, structure, strength and conditioning, consistent coaching, not worrying about where he's going one minute or the next minute unless he gets called up, and doing something like that could be pivotal for his development. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, he's still he's only 19, right? He doesn't turn 20 until January, so they do have time. And I, you know, I was going to ask, well, what does he need to do to break through and, and join the the Kraken in the NHL? But to your point, it sounds like the organizational's bigger focus might just be kind of undoing some of the uh, some of the turbulence of the last few years and just choosing a place and sticking him there and letting him thrive in that place. Well, not only that, but, like, when you look at a couple of the forwards that they have there, too, this one year could be pivotal because you've got one year of Everly left at $5.5 million, one year of Winberg left at $4.5 million. That's $10 million in cap space right there just between those two players. And so it's not to say that they can't come back, but, like, you two know, the thing about this league is while everyone's concentrated on the now, people are always focusing on the future. And you're talking about someone that you could come in, bring in at a team-friendly salary who's going to help, especially when you consider – this is the last year of Matty Beniers' ELC. And as we've seen, if you project as a top six center, especially one with two-way ability, which he has shown that he can do in this league, those kinds of players are usually going to start at seven, seven and a half, maybe eight, in terms of their second contract. And so if you're the Kraken, there's a value Shane Wright has, not only in the sense that he represents this promising future, but he can provide you some cap relief as the Matty Beniers contract goes from eight, nine, seven, five to whatever it might be next season. So again, there's a lot of different ways to look at why playing the long game with Shane Wright could pay dividends for the Kraken. You mentioned Ty Karche, uh, the other guy that stuck out to me when I was down in Washington State last week was Riker Evans. Uh, are either of them in the mix, or could that be sort of the next wave a group of running mates that the Kraken almost keep together, you know, uh, like uh, like the Tampa Bay's triplets who, who sort of came up together at Norfolk um, and then are able to kind of drop in and there's ready-made chemistry. Uh, is, is there a possible long view being taken across the board with the Kraken's young players or could Evans or Cartier challenge? 
seems like it could be somewhere in the middle. So with Ty Carday, it's in that middle ground because, number one, you saw what he did in the postseason for that team last year. And number two, like as we also saw with this team, its greatest strength is the fact that it has depth across all four lines in terms of who could score. And Ty Cardi offers them some interesting alternatives. So even if he doesn't make the team out of camp, but for some they seem to think he can, but let's say if he doesn't, he's an option that you can bring up throughout the season. But again, he makes a very interesting case for what they could do. As for Riker Evans, and, and this is where it gets really fascinating, there have been people in that organization who've gone on record and saying just four months, five months after Riker Evans was drafted, Riker Evans could have been in the NHL right away. They've all been blown away by how strong his skating is, how well he moves the puck. Like, people in that org, and, and, and Thomas, you've been around long enough to know, like, when people in an org either like a player, love a player, or go off about a player, like, the way people in the Kraken talk about Riker Evans, like, there's a sense of pride because, look, they were told, hey, getting this guy at the second round was a reach, and they feel like they've got something. But then it's that question of where do you play him? Where do you fit him? Because, like, it's not saying that he couldn't play third-line minutes, but is that really the best spot for him? Because, again, when you look at how their defense is set up, you've got Vince Dunn, you've got Adam Larson, you've got Alexiak, you've got Borgen, you have Schultz, you just brought in Brian Dumoulin. There's, of course, you know, Kale Fleury, Jason Megna. So, like, that's what eight def- – and Justin Schultz as well. So, yeah, so that's what eight defensemen that you have right there. So it's a matter of where does Riker Evans fit into this equation. And so that's just the thing is, like, the Kraken are in an interesting spot that, on one hand, you've got these two young promising players that you could bring up right now, or letting them sit for an extra year may not be the worst thing either because, again, you let them further develop, but also you're in no rush. And that's kind of the wild part is as much as teams talk about bringing up prospects, the Kraken are in that position that, for now it seems, they don't need to rush these guys and let them come up. And besides, and if that ends up being the case, think about it like this. Justin Schultz, who's a puck mover, he's in the last year of his deal. So there's something to consider for that. And, again, and as we just talked about with the Ford situation, there are other guys who are up for contract. And who knows, maybe that's where Ty Cardi slides in for next year. But either way, these are two players that if they don't make the team out of camp, the thought is they will be seen at some point in a cracking sweater this season. In conversation with ESPN's Ryan Clark here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. And as you mentioned, Ryan, as much as teams are focused on the here and now, they're always thinking and strategizing about the future and especially about how to handle the cap. And I know that's happening right now in Colorado with the Devon Taves contract situation, you know, pending UFA after this season, uh, only making a hair over $4 million right now, which is an incredible bargain. And understandably, given that he's part of the best defense pairing in the NHL, he's going to be looking for a big raise and there's just so many fascinating parts of this right from his age to you know the the salary structure on on Colorado some of the other players they might have to take care of how do you see this one getting resolved between Devontae's and the Avalanche it honestly depends upon how much Devontae's wants to keep things going in in Colorado because here's the reality someone will give Devontae's that money he does everything he, he does everything. You look at his underlying metrics. They're the kind that are among the best in the league. If you're him, it's just simply a matter of, like, are you willing to possibly take less money than what you get on the open market to stay in Colorado? Or do you feel like you've done all you can in Colorado and you're ready to move on and take the next step? Because either way, he walks away with at least one Stanley Cup 
it could be two this season. And let's say if it, it's two or they have a deep enough playoff run, having a strong playoff run, having it pop on your resume, tons of playoff experience, the fact that you know he can drive play as a top-pairing defenseman, like that puts him in a really strong position to, to, to negotiate, and, and, and it's going to give teams something to consider. But like if you're the Colorado Avalanche, the biggest question is where do you come up with that money? Just because, again, you're taking a look at that team. This is the first year the McKinnon contract goes from 6-3 to 12-6. After this season, you're going to have one year left of, of Ranton in at 9-2-5, and then you got to think about what you're going to do there. You've got Nichushkin for at least five more years left at 6-1-2-5, Luckin in at 4-5. Johansson will have four year, well, one year at four, Ross Colton, Miles Wood. And that's just, again, your forwards, whereas if with McCarr, McCarr at nine, Sam Gerard at five, Josh Manson at four or five, and then one year left of Bowen Byron at three eight, which that's another thing to consider. What if this is the year Bowen Byron pops off, and then all of a sudden, well, yes, he's still under team control. That's another guy that you've got to go take care of because he's going to be worth the money. And then don't forget, after this coming season, you're going to have one more year left of a 40-game winner and Alexander Georgiev at 3.4. And then, of course, what's going to happen with the LTIR of the Gabriel Landeskog contract? Like, this is all to say over radio. This is a lot of things to consider for the Avs, and that's why figuring out the Devontae's future. It's such a hard thing to answer because there are so many variables in terms of how this whole thing could go. Ryan, how many playoff teams do you expect to come out of the Pacific? At least four, possibly, maybe five. Again, like, and this is what makes it so difficult. So, Vegas is the defending cup champions, which Barnson and Calamitous, you would think they would be in it. The Edmonton Oilers, they were just here in Seattle a couple days ago, and the talk around the Oilers is they may not score as much as they've done in previous years because they've worked on a defensive zone system where they're going to zone and a neutral zone system where they expect some serious changes, similar to what we saw in Vegas last year, where Vegas wasn't scoring in bunches, but Vegas was a really hard team to beat, so you would think that would be two. The Kings, as we've talked about on this show, it's just a matter of getting beyond the first round, so that would be three. The cracking with what they've done last year looks like they could be four, and the Flames could be five just because the Flames were not that far off from making the playoffs in the first place. So you could at least say between four and five teams from the Pacific have a shot at, at making the playoffs, or at least it seems that way. Ryan, always appreciate the time. Actually, I, I have one more question for you. You know, you you mentioned earlier in the uh, in, in the segment, you know, calling Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes top ten talents at their position, and I think that's that's pretty conventional wisdom across the NHL. Certainly here in Vancouver, we hold them in high regard. Do you think there's a danger though now that and you know Quinn Hughes mentioned this uh, at some point in preseason how those are, they're not young players anymore right they're in their primes Quinn Hughes is the captain now they're established consensus top ten guys at their position at a certain point do, does that standing that they have kind of in the national consciousness is that is it at risk unless they get this team to the playoffs and maybe even do something in the playoffs? Is it kind of like, okay, we all think you're top 10 right now, but we need to see more. Uh, we need to see some team success for those guys to stick around in that tier. It's possible. Just I mean, when we talk about centers alone, I mean, there's that kid in Chicago that just came up. And, <laughs> yep. well, the way everybody talks about him, he might be in the top 10 discussion by this time next year in all seriousness. But with Patterson and with Hughes, it's such a hard thing to say because, yes, it's, it's a couple things, but it's the individual success. So if they can continue to put up the numbers, 
Absolutely. But like you said, the team success is a big part of it. But, like, then you have to ask the question of, like, how much do they play a role in that? So if those are two players doing everything that they can to get the team into the postseason, but the Canucks just fall short, then it's like, but how much do you hold that against them? And not that this is exactly apples for apples. It's more apples to oranges, but it's kind of like what the conversation was in Ottawa for a few years about Thomas Shabbat. Like, do you hold the Senators' lack of success against Thomas Shabbat? Because, like, the reality is Thomas Shabbat plays all the time. He plays power play, PK, even strength minutes. Like, when you look at the Senators and the struggles they've had, how much can you really put at the feet of Thomas Shabbat knowing that this man is doing everything, but it's just not working out? But at the same time, like, we've seen examples where if you have team success, it gives you more of a credence in these conversations. Because, like, let's be honest, like, it's wild to sit here and think that it took the Lightning being what they are for people to notice Braden Point. Mm. Because when you look at Braden Point, you're just like, how is this man at any point in time considered a secret beyond his rookie year? But when you look at how much the Lightning win, how good they've been, how dominant they've been, like it is wild to sit there and think the narrative with them was, man, they have four cornerstone players between Vasilevsky, Stamkos, Kucherov, and Hedman. And then when Point comes along, you're like, wait, they've drafted five. Like, that is unreal that this franchise has drafted five cornerstone players. At least three of them, you think, at this rate are going to go to the hall, which if all five of them keep going at this point, you think that's a realistic conversation. There's some teams that would love to have two. They have five. So, yeah, team success is everything. Because another player is in that conversation. If the Buffalo Sabres do make the playoffs, do not be shocked if Rasmus Dahlin is the favorite for the Norse Trophy for a lot of people because he had a hell of a season last year. And if they'd made the playoffs, who's to say how close he could have been to being in the top three, if not top two? Ryan, always appreciate the time. Great stuff. Uh, we'll do it again soon. And believe it or not, some of us might actually be in Vancouver on Saturday at UBC. So who knows? I might see one Ooh. half of the show there. Oh, very Let's exciting. Go. Very exciting. I, you know what? I'll be out of town, man. But have a great time. <laughs> Oh, wow, that's cold. Well, anyways, last thing I'll say thanks for having me on. And, uh, Sorry to miss you. It's Canadian Thanksgiving, go. man. i got to go see my family. Why, do you can't, why can't you just say Thanksgiving? Like, why does everybody say, oh, it's Canadian? Like, well, because it's not Thanksgiving. Canadian, well, it's we, Canadian Thanksgiving. We don't say American Thanksgiving. But when we – hold on, Ryan. <laughs> but it's, when we Canadians are talking to each other, we just say Thanksgiving. Oh, I don't. What? Yeah, Canadian Thanksgiving. So you're like planning with your family in Canada and you say Canadian Thanksgiving? Yeah, what are we doing for Canadian Thanksgiving? That's wild. Have you not realized that Thomas Drance is Latin for I am extra with everything all the time? <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was just doing it as a courtesy to you, but no, apparently that's how he always is. But yeah, no, they're different holidays. <laughs> okay. One of them has football. Uh, you, you never heard of the CFL, buddy? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ryan, we'll let you go. Appreciate it, man. No problem. Thanks for having me. That is uh, ESPN's Far Ryan gonna be so Clark. I can't believe you just call it Canadian Thanksgiving. It's Canadian Thanksgiving. That is so funny to me. Really? But you don't call it American Thanksgiving. No, that's that. So well, like, if I, you, sorry, I do call it American Thanksgiving, yeah. but in my head, that's just Thanksgiving, and then Canadian Thanksgiving. I mean, I guess I can understand it because you lived in the U.S. for a little bit. Well, and they're just different holidays. I also have a lot I just, of American like, family. I just, my stepdad. The idea American. of me like planning with my extended family and being like, "Hey guys, where are we having Canadian Thanksgiving?" Well, no, because I have plans for both. That's fair. That's fair. Like I have plans for both. I've always had plans for both, so I have. They're different. That is a, a much better thing than just no. It's, that's the name of the holiday.
Yeah, no, I have plans for both, so I'm used to yeah. distinguishing. That's fair, because if you're saying Canadian and American Thanksgiving, I can understand it. No, that, I, that makes perfect sense. Me and my family are going to go to Seattle for American Thanksgiving. There you go. Um, Niners game. And then the Canucks play on Friday. That's a sick, <laughs> that's a sick road Marcus trip, and Gibson's way. ask, will the Canucks be in a playoff spot by Canadian Christmas? Canadian Christmas would be like Boxing Day, I guess, because they don't have it in the States. <laughs> we just tagged on an extra holiday. I mean, some some places celebrate Christmas slightly differently, right? Like where you open presents yeah, on, on Christmas, Christmas Eve. Eve or, yes, that's true. Or you have 12 whole days of Christmas. Yeah, that's, that's and also so true. And so many waterfowl. <laughs> just a lot of birds in general <laughs> so by the birds. end. We should go. We uh, got okay, Donnie we got to take Dolly. a break. It's the crossover. We're, we're getting our. Uh, we're getting into the correct energy <laughs> no for the kidding. crossover. Talking about total nonsense. Uh, that's coming up next with Donnie and Dolly right here on Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Big Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Talk here on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drantz. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, we are going to do the crossover with Donnie and Dolly at some point in this segment. I'm told that uh, producer Dom Shermatty is hard at work setting up the, that, I don't know what that you call it. That doesn't sound like the video, The video call, the teleconferencing. The, I mean, we're look, we're a, we're a national telecom giant, so I'm sure this is going to go off without a hitch, and we'll be up and running in just a few minutes here. Yeah, perfect. What else could possibly happen? I don't know, but I had a really punchy first hour of the show. Like, I, I You? No. Yeah, you know when you have those days where you're just not quite sorted? Like, usually I have yep. my routine. Well, you know why? It's because we're on at 11. We're on at 11, and just like, I'm just not in my routine right now, and I as lunch- a result- sorry. Yeah, no, go oh, ahead. No, go ahead. When did you I was going to say, I ate lunch at 10.15 today. Right. Because yesterday I didn't eat lunch till after the show and I was like, I'm starving. I know. I was I got home and I made myself a tuna salad and I was like so unhappy yesterday. And then I was like, Why am I eating salad? I need to-. <laughs> I was like so mad. And then today I had uh, one of those like fig granola energy bar things, which are delicious, and I'm happy to have that for breakfast, but I, I didn't eat again. So I just like mashed a chocolate bar during the break. You literally did the like you're angry. You need a Snickers bar from the commercials. I did. You're right, and I feel like a different person. It um, the effect was immediate. Maybe it's placebo, but like, yeah. and then just as I'm finished, you look over at me. You're like, I love chocolate bars. Chocolate bars, bars are <laughs> so underrated. And I'm like, still eating. I'm like, mm, yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite number one chocolate uh, bar for the I spooky pro- season? Okay, so and I, you I know just, what? Sorry, let me put number one fun size chocolate bar. I'm gonna spin it on you. Oh, fun size? Okay. Because it does change it. Well, there's the little ones that like you really only see at Halloween. Like I forget even the names, but like Three like Musketeers. Mr. Good Bar. No, Three Musketeers. You see all of it. I like Three Musketeers actually, but uh it's like <laughs> okay. I think it's called like Crunch or like Crackle. Oh yeah, yeah. Crackle. I really like Crackle, and that's yeah. like a Halloween. The only. one that's like the sponge toffee covered in yeah, chocolate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I think that's called a crunchy. Okay. No, crunchy's a different thing. <laughs> 
Are you sure? My favorite. It's not a straight. Strictly speaking, it's not a chocolate bar, but uh, Reese's peanut butter cups. Yeah, yeah. Okay, true, I'm, a, I'm a big, truly elite. Now, have you done the Trader Joe's mini? I have not peanut no. butter cups. No. Next Those time you go good, to the states, though. oh yeah, I do love get the dark um, chocolate, unreal. You can get the uh, the like big Reese's peanut butter cups with the Reese's pieces in them now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really enjoy those. The big those cups. Are, those are a go-to. I like me. how they're just called big cups. <laughs> Gotta have my big cups. <laughs> makes it makes me feel like I'm a big boy. <laughs> <laughs> no little cups for me. I'm going straight to the big cups. Okay, but yeah. Hold on, I gotta look this up now because I this comes up regularly at Halloween. And you yeah, never know crackle me. Hershey's crackle K R A C K E L comes in this little red package. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's okay. got like a rice thing yeah, yeah. in it. It's kind of like a crunch bar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm a big fan of Crackle. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, you know what? You only, I like those a lot too. You actually. only ever see them at Halloween in the mini form. Yeah. I don't think you can like go into a grocery store in like February and buy a Crackle. All right, number one for me. Ready? Yeah. Not fun size though. This is just my number one. Like God tier chocolate bar, and everything else is in a tier below it. Mm-hmm. Fruit and nut. Fruit and nut. Cadbury fruit and nut. Wow. Undefeated as the that best is... chocolate bar in the league. I, you could have given me like. I, I think legitimately like 40 guesses, and I wouldn't have come up with that. Fruit and nut, baby. Throw that, it in your freezer. <laughs> have like a square or two a day. That is Sa- completely two weeks. completely unreal. It's unreal. You know what? It, you know, you're right. It is unreal. It's the best you're, chocolate. Uh, if anyone ever thinks you're doing a bit, <laughs> you're not doing a bit. I'm not doing You're a really bit. committed. You're really committed <laughs> to your beliefs. Uh, it is uh, Canucks talk here at Sports at 650. There's a lot of people like walking to and fro in the control room, which I don't take as a great sign for us no, getting the, that's the okay. uh, well, let's, crossover connected. Let's, let's, you guys your... could rag the puck. Oh, okay, rag the puck a little bit. What's... You don't say. <laughs> you, what, do you, what do you think we've been doing, Dom? We're talking about chocolate bars. What's your least favorite chocolate bar? My least favorite chocolate or, bar. Or, sorry, let me spin this again. Your least favorite Halloween candy. Ooh, my least favorite Halloween candy. That's an interesting one. I'm not a big fan of it's not I don't even know what to call them but like they're not gummies but like you know the ones that are like kind of like it's like a little yellow foam candy but tastes like a banana or whatever like and there's like a red one that tastes like a strawberry I don't know how to describe them but I don't like those Yeah I mean those sound <laughs> awful <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about uh, last in my, on my list is candy rockets Oh, I don't mind rockets. I like rockets. Got no time for rockets. Oh, I'd no, rather have Pez. Added, we've added more people into the control room now. This is good. We're bringing in outside help. This is very, very exciting. This is Tim Hardaway styles. It's the killer crossover. Yes, exactly. Uh, Marcus and Gibson's uh, least favorite Halloween candy is rockets. He's he agrees with you. Uh, yep. Langley Ian is caping for uh, Wonder Bar. Fun size is the bomb. I like a Wonder Bar for sure. Um, <laughs> my favorite text in the inbox right now is the guy who just with three exclamation marks, big cups are legit. Yeah, big cups so are we, legit. We all agree. Big cups are fantastic. <laughs> uh, yeah, people hate rockets. I don't mind though. I like the funny thing is Chef Swagger texts in, uh, rockets are gross. It's like eating chalk. And the funny thing is I'm like, I can see what he means, but I still don't mind it. Even though it does taste a little bit uh, like it, like eating chalk. It's like sometimes I, I love Dr. Pepper. And uh, sometimes people will be like, oh, Dr. Pepper, it tastes like cough medicine. It's like, yeah, and cough medicine's delicious. What's not to like? <laughs> That's why I like it. Cough okay. syrup's great. Chet and Burnaby, who always has great suggestions, yep. suggests Nanaimo bar flavored arrow, which I've never had and what? never had to seek out. I 
love Nanaimo bars. Me too. Like elite, if we're talking just like not Halloween candy or whatever chocolate bars, but just like sweets, Nanaimo bar is on like the very, very short list. An arrow truffle of, bar Nanaimo. favorite, favorite uh Do I need to go to like desserts. Lucky or like Dank Mart? Do I need to go to one of those like fancy four Gen Z bodegas to get yeah. one of these? Nanaimo truffle, like yeah, that looks unreal. I'm gonna literally move my laptop over and show. That it. does actually look like, really good. Sign me up. I bet. Uh, I bet my local, uh, my local corner store has it. They've got a pretty good selection. Yeah, but Chet and Burnaby, text in where where we can get it. Yeah, I need to. This is that's like priority ad for me. <laughs> that's like I react. I, I'm reacting to Chet and Burnaby's suggestion the way all Canucks fans react every time a live body who shoots right handed hits <laughs> waivers on the waiver right wire. Now. Like. Yeah. But, we're legitimately waiver wire sing, sing, uh, seagulls at this point. Yeah. Well, Bernard and especially Docker, for Bernard, any, Bernard Docker. anyone who shoots right. Cal, Cal and like, yeah, Calfoot. We've got a lot of Calfoots coming in. <laughs> That's just you and me. All right, here we go. We, uh, we, we've we ragged the puck long enough. We're going to go. We're, we're doing it. I'm throwing to it. All right. It's time for the crossover featuring Don Taylor, Rick Dolly, of course, from Donnie and Dolly on Check TV every day from 10 there we are. I can see them in their studio. We figured it out. We made it work. We've got some uh, some spiffy new intro music for it. We're good to go. Uh, fellas, what's going on? Well, uh, a whole lot in that uh, it's not just spiffy new intro music. It's something we referred to last week. It's the theme from the Brady, Brady Bunch. Bunch. There well you done. go. Of course. Why can't you just give us, why yeah. can't you give us the, the real Brady Bunch stuff? It's copyright things, right? <laughs> well, Henderson plays it all the time. <laughs> no. Cease and desist, Dolly. No, no, cut that out. Cut that out. Cut that out. Hey, I wore my Grizzlies hat just I for you. I want the real Brady Bunch next week. <laughs> close enough. It's close so enough. Demanding. So demanding. <laughs> but, boys, we were discussing Halloween candy while waiting for you. What's your favorite? What's your favorite and least favorite Halloween Ooh. candy we need from both of you? Go, Don. Donnie's good at this stuff. Well, I, I think, uh, and I wonder where they went. But you remember the old Halloween kisses? Mm. Yeah, like kind of a toffee. Uh, maybe you guys are too young. I, I'm not sure. Kind of a, a toffee treat, you know, in, individually wrapped. Those were always good. I preferred the dark uh, Halloween kiss versus the lighter Halloween kiss. And we'll stop right there. That was just- <laughs> Rick. You. Uh, listen, <laughs> I was a Kit Kat guy. Kit Kat uh, all the way. That's so boring. Kit Kat all the way. Dolly, all the what's, way. what's your least favorite? And, uh, oh, I don't know about that. Well, we always, we're always <laughs> disappointed when somebody tried to, you know, give you a health message yes. and you got yeah. an apple. Apple. Yeah. 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 The yeah. throat on the bottom of the, the bag. The dentist in the bruised. neighborhood giving out toothbrushes. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, yeah. Drant yeah. said his favorite chocolate bar. I never bar, had that. But. Drant said his favorite chocolate bar is something called Cadbury's Fruit and Nut, which is about the most Drant yeah. thing yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. All right. I knew Don would have Start my back. That's like, that's, like, that's like an old Vancouver thing. Like, my yeah. grandma always had it. Now I love it. Like, fruit and nut. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yo, it's a big deal. Yeah. An old Very Vancouver good. Thing. Under, underrated. Sure. Now that they've got, Cadbury's got all sorts of flavors when it comes to that line. Yeah. Right? Oh, and then they're. Break it, down, break it down for us, Donnie. Break talk. it down for us. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think there's a cotton candy Cadbury dairy milk, so I I can go on, but I won't. Hey, hold that. A coffee crisp. Coffee crisp. You like it, it or good. don't? Can you just go with the most boring chocolate bars uh, ever? How How is coffee crisp boring when, you know, they were the first people to think of putting coffee in a, in a chocolate <laughs> bar? It was, it was smart. It worked. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I just love that. Just next, in the Reese's. <laughs> yeah. I just love in the middle of the discussion, Rick mm. being like, "Coffee crisp." <laughs> it took him that long. That was to, good. It, it was took good him that stuff. long to finish being distracted by your Grizzlies hat. <laughs> yeah, fair. Now he's good. By the way, Dolly, well, how's oh, yeah. the how's the hey, parking meter today? Go ahead. You got enough uh, money well, in the I meter? I put in a couple extra minutes. There you go. <laughs> because there Grant's go. talks uh, 40 minutes at a time. We have to be careful. Yeah, we have he'll to be send careful. you the bill. Yeah. Speaking in full paragraphs, it's uh, it's a cinnamine. Hey, Dolly, <laughs> texted you today. I said, I said we should write. We should write now that final cuts approach for the Canucks. Uh, we're getting close to the wire uh, to Canadian Thanksgiving where the roster rules kick in and the in-season cap kicks in. Uh, what are you hearing about the likes of Juleson, Jack Rathbone, and some of the decisions facing the club at the bottom end of the roster? Well, we talked uh, on the show today a lot about uh, the right shot defenseman and, you know, who's going to stay, who's going to go. Um, you've got Heronic, Myers, McWard, and Juleson. The only problem with Juleson, guys, is he's going to require waivers to go to Abbotsford. I don't know what you guys think. Does he get through waivers? Because he had eight teams call his agent in the summer mm-hmm. when he was a free agent. And he told his agent, uh, I, I don't want to go anywhere. I want to sign in Vancouver. So McWard's a rookie. We all know why he's there. He's a right shot D. It's why I think the Canucks are still showing interest in Ethan Bear, who continues to rehab his shoulder injury. His agent told me this morning he's not in a rush to sign right now. Four to five teams are in the mix for Ethan Bear, including the Canucks. So we talked a lot today about the, the right shot D situation, who stays, who goes. Ethan Bear's in the mix, all that stuff. So, uh, and, and, you know, we, we, we also talked about it is amazing to me, guys, that in the last 15 years, the Canucks have not developed a right shot defenseman. In fact, in the last 10 years, the only drafted defenseman they have is uh, Quinn Hughes. It's, uh, you know, the poor drafting of defensemen in this franchise in the last 10, 12 years has been just absolutely. Well, and, and, and earlier today on our show, uh, Thomas, we brought your name up because uh, at the end of last season or in the off season, you talked, and not just you, but other people talked about Noah Julson looking yeah. so comfortable with, yeah. with Quinn Hughes uh, on that uh, pairing with uh, Quinn Hughes. And it's just kind of, it's, it's just kind of gone away. And I know, I know uh, Noah, uh, had had a tough time in that ten nothing loss in Calgary, uh, but 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 who didn't? And I think a lot of people are wondering why McWard over Jolson yeah. when Jolson looked pretty comfortable there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's tough to figure out. And and one thing I'd add about Jolson is, you know, whether or not he gets claimed, and maybe it's fifty fifty, especially once you get into the last weekend of right, right yeah. before the roster deadline kicks in, because there's going to be a lot of names that that hit waivers, but. He's far more likely to be claimed than Guillaume Brisebois or Christian Mulanen simply because he's right-handed mm, and younger. Uh, well, I guess he's not younger mm. than Brisebois, but, you know, he's right-handed, uh, and that makes him a little bit distinct uh, from those guys. So, yeah, if they wanted to manage their waiver risk, you know, Juleson being the front-runner for that seventh spot makes a ton of sense to me. By the way, I think you can go back 20 years, Dolly. I, you can go back 20 years of Canucks draft yeah. history. I remember writing this. And I don't think you could. Um, I don't think you could build an entire defense pair out of the defenders that the Canucks oh. have drafted and developed. I think to build and to flesh out your six, I do believe you need to include the likes of Tanev and Stetcher, who were you know undrafted free agents. Well, yeah, for for agents, yeah. Well, hold it, Donnie brought up uh, Edler. Edler was a good. Edler, player. Still, yeah. you still Edler, need six. Yeah. Edler, Bieksa, Hughes. Hughes. Yeah, it, it, I go, think it Brian goes Allen. But that's going yeah. back a long way. Then. You know, Brian yeah. Allen's this century. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's 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 grim. <laughs> yeah. It's not ideal. Uh, yeah. Speaking well, here, of, here, here, go ahead. Here. I got news for you. It's ben 1998. Hutton. It's not this century. Yeah. <laughs> oh my here, god, Ben Hutton. Yeah. Here's what's grim, guys. 2021, 2020. No defenseman made it. Uh, 2019, no defensemen were taken in the in the draft in Vancouver. What, what do they have? Nine picks, and yeah. no defensemen taken. When I look at all the first and second round draft picks traded in the last few years, now you can understand why, guys. Quinn Hughes is the only defenseman but you, you drafted. Know, you know, um, guys, this is you, we can go back to 1970s. Yeah. Mm. Obviously, there are exceptions, but I always remember when when Paul Reinhardt and I'm going way back here. I tend to do that, and I apologize for that. But we love it. Heck? But Paul Reinhardt spent two years spent two years here in Vancouver, yeah. and he was better known as a flame. I always remember they picked uh, um, the all time Canucks, you know, first team. Yeah, and Paul Reinhardt was on it. He was on it because he was and, that good and, in those and, two and, years. Well, but, but I mean, it kind of said yeah, this. This was exactly. in the late '80s, early '90s. It just said something about the defenseman that had gone. And all due respect to Dennis Kearns and uh, you know, great defenseman who, who had played here, just said something about the amount Absolutely. of quality defenseman that had gone through that organization yeah. at that time. And now it's now it's built up even more. Well, how quickly even less. How quickly we they were into, re- into Quinn Hughes' career before people started saying like, hey, he's on track to be the yeah. best defenseman of all time. And that partly yeah. is because uh, for the Canucks. Partly it's because of what he does, but it's partly what you're talking about as well, Donnie. Like the history just isn't there at that position. Mm. No. Yeah, and, and I think people might have been saying that right off the bat, that first game against the LA Kings yeah. oh. when he set up Besser. It was, it was like, there's the best defenseman in Canucks history. <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. And I, yeah. I think you guys would agree. Yeah. Well, and, it's- and guys, they've built this defense. Go ahead. No, please. Thomas. They've built this defense. Go look at, look at the six. They've all free agent signings on July 1st or college free agent signings or trades. You'd like to see more drafted defensemen in your lineup from the last six, seven, eight years, but that's not going to happen. Well, and obviously the club has gone to efforts to try and change that using four picks on defensemen, including their first three picks in Nashville. Yeah, this year they did that. And, and, yet, yeah. and yet you worry, you know, did they swerve or did they zag at the right moment given some of what we're seeing from the first rounders uh, who were taken in the preseason? Too early to tell, of course. Hey, um... Don, let's go way back. Let's go to the fruit and nut era of Vancouver Canucks history. And um, <laughs> um, bigger, bigger early Canucks whiff on the blue line. Is it selecting Dale Talon and then moving him to forward before the end of his rookie season? Or or trading Bob wow. Daly? Wow. Trading Bob Daly to the Flyers for the very unfortunately named Larry Goodenough. Um, that was unfortunate. Yeah. It, it, you don't want to lose a him. trade in which you acquire a guy named Goodenough. That's my, that's my take on this. What's worse? Yeah, well, th- there is that one of the, you know, one of the assistant captains of the all, all name team. Um, <laughs> uh, I will, I will say, I will say, but Dale Talon, like it mo- moving back and forth positions. But I, I, I did like the fact that if I'm not mistaken in that trade, it wasn't just Larry Goodenough. I'll, mm. I'll say the talent move was worse just because they not only got Larry Goodenough for Bob Daly, was it they McElhargy? also got the late great Jack McElhargy. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. Well, Goodenough and McElhargy. Mm-hmm. So, and Bob Daly helped them get to a Stanley Cup against the Islanders in 1980. Behemoth defenseman who's left us as well, uh, by, by the way. Yep. But the fact they brought back the North Burnaby boy and Jack McElhargy, I'll go with uh, Talon as the, uh, as the uh, poorer move. So... 
Rick, we're talking about the, uh, the, you know, the lack of depth on defense right now, and I'm sure you guys are getting this. We get bombarded with questions every time there's a right shot defenseman on waivers. You know, oh. today it's Cal Foot, Bernard Docker. Should we be looking out for a waiver claim at that position in the in the next week or so here, Dollywell? I can tell you this. I've heard more about Jacob Bernard Docker in the last 48 hours than the last 10 years. Well, and this is the first time he's got his name right. I, <laughs> Nailed it. I was, I was, our, our text line. I was bracing. It's every day that connects the waiver wire and everybody go get this guy. Go get this guy. Go, that's, I, I don't get it. I look the Jacob Bernard Docker <laughs> has got two points in 30 NHL games. Like, how is he going to come in right now, and who's he replacing, and who's going down? I mean, it, the whole nine yards. Cal Foot. Can I say this about Cal Foot, yes, guys? Yes, please. Uh, we're getting a lot of Cal Foot. Um, I checked in on Cal Foot in the summer. Um, Canucks never did call his agent, mm-hmm. and I think there is concern there um, about putting him in an awkward situation mm. where his father is the coach in addressing him. Um, I don't know, Donnie, if you remember before any kids who had coaches at the NHL level, it's always tough. Like but Dave Lowry and, and Adam Yeah, Lowry that's it. Here. We see it in junior. We see it in, you know, on minor hockey all the time too. But I was told that uh, they don't want to put – this was what I was told in the summer. They don't want to put him in an awkward situation where he's uh, in a dressing room where his father's a coach. So mm-hmm. um, if that stands true, I don't think they'll go after Calfoot. Are there any names you're tracking on the wire, Dolly? For the for the for the waiver wire seagulls who are you know Bernard Docker Bernard Docker every day oh. uh, are there any names yeah. that you are interested no, or I, that you're hearing about no 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 I, I'm not hearing any yet uh, honestly uh, short just Bernard short Docker <laughs> or Ethan Bear right we, Ethan, oh Ethan yeah. Bear yeah well that, that's not, the not, one not waiver wire but, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ethan Bear to keep an eye on him but uh, Thomas you know more about the waiver wire than I do I mean is this I mean would you pluck someone right now not today no but I mean there's a, there's some guys yeah. I like there's some guys I like we've decided to cape up for a 26 year old yeah. Russian guy uh, who's a Milstein client. you'll love his name Rick <laughs> Daniil Miramanov you'll yeah. have fun with that one if they claim him Miramanov? <laughs> nailed, nailed it. He's on it. waivers? You nailed he's a it. No, no, no. He's not on waivers today, but he Let may, he, he'll get, he, he oh, the, okay. the Golden Knights are so deep on the blue line that they've got some tough decisions. Hey, Rick, is there anyone on waivers right now who does not remind you of Mark Messier? We've lost audio. We lost audio. I can't hear uh, Drance, oh. which is a good thing, actually. But <laughs> Drance, I can't hear you. It's funny because I want to get on the mic. Okay, here like, we go. Oh, here oh we you can that. hear us yeah. now. You can hear us. Maybe it was just a Drance problem. Yeah. Sorry. I can wanted... I do that in real life? Have a button to shut Drance up? <laughs> you, you, you sound like you sound like my wife when uh, when you call Rick and we're driving and the hands free comes up and your name comes up on the dashboard and she's like, "Not right now." <laughs> oh, I like that. Oh. That's good. Hey, but you don't put me on the speaker. Shame with uh, my wife. Yeah. No, uh, you you don't put me on the speaker when you're with your wife, do you? No, no, only when I'm driving. Uh, when it's hands free. Okay, good. Um, that's not fair. No, it's not. That's the, not uh, fair, especially because you and me just talk over one another. No, I wanted to know, Rick, if there's anyone on waivers who doesn't remind you of Mark Messier no, I- today. Yeah, <laughs> no, I I don't think anyone on waivers today. Uh, we got a lot of the Cal foot, and I obviously people are putting two and two together that you know Cal foot is a guy that could end up in Vancouver, but I'm just not hearing that. I'm just not hearing it, and it's, it's smart uh, not to put that kid in an awkward situation yeah. when his father's well, do, a coach. Do you remember in Winnipeg uh, the Lowry's? Lowry's and, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. they had to get 
permission from the kid. Yeah. And, and you mean, you talk about minor hockey. You guys know this. I mean, you know, kids, when they reach a certain age, the last thing they want is their dad in the, ah. in the dressing room or on the ice with them. Hey, well, yeah, we see it in junior where uh, parent. Well, we're seeing in junior where you know parents are buying junior B teams, you know, for yeah. their kids. We're yeah. se- we're seeing that s- sort of stuff everywhere, you know. So it- it's an awkward situation for any kid at any level to have uh, the dad as a coach or dad as an owner. It's it's a tough spot for them. While we're talking about the blue line, you know, we've talked a lot this week about Rick Tockett's plan. Uh, you know, the flexible defense pairs, defense by committee, rather than having one guy with Quinn Hughes and and all three pairings set. What do you guys make of, of what we're hearing from Rick Tockett on that? I, I've never heard that expression. You, you yeah. guys correct me if I'm wrong, but def- defense by committee. And I, I just I, I just wonder if maybe the, the better way to phrase it would have been experimentation. Is yeah. that what mm. we're – I mean, I, I guess that's what, he, what he's talk, talking about, in which case that makes sense. Uh, you know, there's a lot of new faces, uh, the – the head coach is relatively new when it comes to you know dealing with the, some of these players, especially the ones they acquired in the offseason. They probably don't know a lot about each other, so I guess that's what he means by uh, defense by committee. But if something's working, yeah. if if McWard Hughes, despite what everybody is saying, if it ends up being decent or better than decent, you you, you stick with it. You forget the defense by committee. But I'm I'm sure there's going to be some experimenting going on uh, to, to start, given how. How, how how new a lot of the players are to the organization. Chris Tanev, guys, was was perfect fit on and off the ice. They were really, you know, a, a, a good duo on the ice, but off the ice there was a lot of respect between uh, uh, Hughes and Tanev as well. We all know what happened to Tanev, but, and then you look at Luke Shen, you know, last year. So uh, this organization, I hope they find him uh, a partner and he can stay with him for years because you can't be doing this every year at camp, finding Quinn Hughes a partner. You can't do it every year. You got to find that kid a partner for three, four, five years. And maybe, you know, down the road, you don't, you're not doing this at every training camp, but you know, that kid deserves to have a full-time partner year after year. Yeah. I mean, it's well and good to experiment when you're young, but eventually you want to settle down. No, nobody. (laughs) Thanks for that life lesson there. Yeah. We're talking about hockey. Yeah, right? we're talking yeah. about hockey, eh? Yeah. By the way, Drance had a, a real hot take to match your Pod Colson and Messier take earlier. He said that uh, Illy McCabe is no Pavel Bure. So that that was a, a real uh, a hot it, take from But Drance. it wasn't a shot oh. at him, I want to mm-hmm. be clear. Thanks for that. Yeah, hey, you're welcome. Yeah. First we of all, all it wasn't my something. hot take. It was Igor Larry. Hey, <laughs> Dodd, zip it, zip it. Listen, it wasn't my hot take. It was Igor Larionov told me. I asked Igor. I said, "Hey, who does he remind you of?" And he said, "Mark Messier." That's not my hot take. No, no, no. But your Igor your who was Mark Messier? Your hot take was that he doesn't look like Mark Messier. That was your opinion. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, he's <laughs> yeah. Well, he's in the minors. Mar- <laughs> he's in the minors, so he is no Mark Messier. You're right. We can all agree on that. And Ilya Mikheyev is no Pavel Bure. Two things we can all agree on, gentlemen. Uh, last thing before you guys go, and happy Thanksgiving to both of you and your families. Mm-hmm. Do you clarify yes. that it's Canadian Thanksgiving, or is it just Thanksgiving to you? Uh, I think just Thanksgiving. Yeah. Just Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. We, we've ex- okay. we, we accept both. We accept uh, I, I, both. I prefer the timing of that. Well, no, of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have to. But uh, I, I, I prefer the timing of the Canadian Thanksgiving. American Thanksgiving is way too close to Christmas. Yeah, it is. Yep. You know, mm. you got the d- 
dueling turkeys there. That's just a little, little too much. But having said that, what a celebration uh, uh, down there. But I like the timing better up here. And we got Monday off. We got Monday off. Uh, Taylor and I are going to set a record for how many days off we get in a year. We got Monday off again. <laughs> well, we're working on Monday. So, uh, hey, <laughs> Thanksgiving. It, enjoy the yeah. uh, the CFL yeah, but football. These guys work. What are oh. you talking about? Yeah, we're working. Barra's cracking What's the whip up? over here for us. Sorry, are we really? Oh, we're, down, we're 100% working. Yeah. 10 to 2, buddy, on Monday. 10 to 2? Hey. Or, sorry, 12 and to 2. Don't, 12 uh, to 2. I know you guys, uh, hey, don't forget the Lions, Blue Bombers. You know, I know you guys talk hockey all the time. Big football game. L- Donnie and I, L- Empire Bowl. Stadium, we used to go. Well, <laughs> BC Place, too. Yeah, BC yeah. Place, too. But and Empire Field. But Lower Bowl pretty much sold out. <laughs> yeah. Opening up the Upper Bowl. Look at Drance laughing at me. Oh, these guys are talking Lions. You know what? Local sports, Donnie and I, local sports, they matter, Dranch. Don't give your, don't shake your head. Uh, no, of course they do. Of course they do. Although, you know, I, I would say, <laughs> I would say here, um, you know, it's no, he's no Doug Flutie. Vernon <laughs> Adams, no Doug Flutie. All right, Rick. I think it's I think it's time to wrap oh. this up here, fellas. He's not getting it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no. He's no Roy DeWalt. There you go. <laughs> All right, have a great weekend. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Thanks, we'll guys. do this again next week. Thanks, guys. All, All the right, best. guys. Later. All right, that is Don Taylor and Rick Dollywall uh, from <laughs> Donnie and Dolly on Check TV every day from 10 till noon and joining us here weekly on Wednesdays for the crossover. Uh, I can't tell if that was an improvement or nope. the same from last week. I so. would say I, we, would, say, I, think we've I just, would say we've regressed. I think we found our level right away. <laughs> we found our level and it's that kind of sterling broadcasting you that's, can expect for the rest of the season. That's probably fair. That's probably fair. Uh tune in to the SportsNet Radio Friday Soccer Report brought to you by Casiero del Diablo Wines and the Way to Be a Legend contest, the chance to win a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip to England for the ultimate Manchester United experience, including a chance to play a football game at Old Trafford where Manchester United legends will make an appearance. No purchase necessary. Conditions apply. Must be legal drinking age. Casiero del Diablo. Available at BC Liquor. Please enjoy responsibly. Enter in-store or visit CasieroManchester.com. Uh, final segment of the show coming up. The Canucks are in Abbotsford. We'll continue to set that one up. Uh, we will uh, take your text as well. It is Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd. It's Thomas Trans. We're live from the Kintec studio. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. I feel like we need an extended uh, commercial break post the crossover. The normal one is just not cutting. I need to like recover and reset and yeah. try to sort out all of the things that Dolly Wall said. <laughs> Chris and Duncan texts in, uh, speaking of dueling turkeys, that was a great crossover with Donnie and Dolly. <laughs> and Todd has bad takes, echoes that. He says, Donnie and Dolly, a.k.a. the dueling turkeys. 
dueling turkeys. Dueling turkeys. A great like turn it. of phrase from uh, from Donnie. My the two things that stood out for me in uh, in that one was well, at least one was Dollywall just uh, out of nowhere, just saying Kit Kat in his like the exact same tone of voice. Coffee Chris. He would use to like. Break down a Canucks game or a player they're interested in acquiring or something like that. Eric Just a so full funny. on Rick Dollywall, and also him panicking that uh, that you might put him on speakerphone in front of your wife. I know. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about, so Rick Dollywall? What are you What are you worried about here, I buddy? Was, I was crying. I can't. That segment's difficult for me because Dollywall's so funny. No, there is <laughs> there's a lot of unintentional comedy. Well, and like when when I'm on his show, right? Yeah. He's interviewing me, so it's yes. like they chime in. I talk, sometimes I yell at at them or whatever. Yep. Like sometimes we argue and there's a little bit of crosstalk, but thirty minutes of isolated crosstalk, like I just find <laughs> isolated I, I, crosstalk. I find Rick Dollywall so funny. You know how sometimes you'll see um like transcripts of an interview or whatever, and oh, it'll man. just be in brackets, it'll be like crosstalk for a part of it. That's, yeah, the, that's whole... the whole transcript for the crossover. Oh yeah. Just like start, crosstalk, end. Um, anyways, it's always fun. We'll, as long uh, as there's no cross checks, we're good. Yes, indeed. We'll we'll uh, we'll connect with those guys next Wednesday. Uh, we were talking about Halloween candy with them. Tyler texts in with Thanksgiving on the mind. Apple or pumpkin pie? I'm Strong a, apple for me. I'm a Strong big pumpkin, apple. pumpkin pie. Really? Oh, I don't. Yeah. I'm not a hater, but if you put both in front of me, it's an extremely easy decision. Apple pie with vanilla ice cream can't beat it. Absolutely yes. cannot go wrong Look, with that. Oh, I'm I'm a I'm an equal opportunity pie, pie guy, guy, but I just happen to like pie, um, pumpkin pie a lot. That's fair. Yeah, big, big fan. Also good with ice cream, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, like, I, don't worry. I've I've happily housed many yeah. slices of pumpkin pie <laughs> in, in my life, but if I got to choose, I'm going with uh, I'm going with apple. Super, super fair. All the time. Um, 650-650 is the Dunbar I don't like line. pumpkin pie attached to other things, like pumpkin pie cake. You know, people try to get fancy with it. You know what? I got to say, I've had a fantastic pumpkin pie cake, like pumpkin cake, I guess well, you would just pum- call it. Pumpkin cake's fine. Pumpkin pie cake. I'm, I'm so not what's the difference? It. I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like a pumpkin flavored coffee cake sounds fine. Yeah. But like a pumpkin pie specific cake that's like a cake with pumpkin pie filling in the middle. Like, mm, I don't have time for that. Just okay. give me the slice of pumpkin pie. I don't know. I don't know what I've had then. Um... <laughs> <laughs> what I've had. Well, now you're you're making me question everything. <laughs> Did I have pumpkin pie cake or just pumpkin cake? I yeah. don't know. I can't remember. It's been so long ago. I know it was delicious. Uh, somebody texted in, by the way, the my my least favorite candy, but I couldn't remember the name of banana mallows. Oh, that's what they're called. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. they're kind of like the ones that are like chickadees at um at Easter. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they have chickadee versions. Yeah, Easter. yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. They're called yeah. chirps or whatever. Yeah, they're not good. Um. <laughs> Just wanted to throw that out there. Not, um, a, not a big fan of formed mallow. No, 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 thank you. I did want to go into no the- mallow. <laughs> I want no mallow. Get it out of my sight. <laughs> um, I did want to go into the Dunbar Lumber text line six fifty six fifty as we continue to set up uh, the Canucks against the Kraken tonight in Abbotsford. And you know, an interesting wrinkle to this one is because they want to give a lot of the roster locks a night off. And, you know, this matches what we heard from Rick Tockett, where games four and six of the preseason were really going to be the dress rehearsal games. Obviously, game four, Saturday against Edmonton. Game six coming up on Friday against Calgary. So they call up 
uh, a bunch of players who had previously been sent down to Abbotsford to, to make out the numbers of this game. Chet and Burnaby texts in, I desperately want to see Atu Aturatu with top line wingers. And I mean, you just look at how the lineups are going to, we don't have any line combinations or anything like that. And they're not skating before the game, but you can see the players that are staying home. It's Pedersen, it's Miller, it's Bluger down the middle. So that would leave really only Pew Suter as a, uh, you know, first choice center in the lineup. So I do wonder, you know, like, look, this isn't going to, these guys getting called up, they're not being asked to like, hey, come back and try to make the team again, right? This is just filling out the numbers, getting a chance to play in front of Abbotsford. But I do think as we monitor how they're all used and where they slot in the lineup, I think there's going to be interesting things to learn about some of these guys. And I think it's still an opportunity. Like, at the end of the day... If you light the world on fire. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and not an opportunity necessarily for the club to decide suddenly that, oh, we made a mistake. You're, in fact, no longer cut. You're you're now on the. T- it was a clerical error. <laughs> Our bad. We meant to have you here the whole time. I don't think that's going to happen. But what I could see is a player like where there where the opportunity lies for an Arshdeep Baines or an Atu Ratu mm-hmm. is, you know, you still are being evaluated, right? You still are giving yourself a chance to mm-hmm. be in the running to be the first call up and. And look, being the first call-up matters because every game you play in the NHL is a gift. Most of these guys are on two-way deals, so it has significant financial yep. ramifications for them. And and thirdly, you know, whether you start the where whether you break camp with the team or not, you can still play most of the NHL season. Oh yeah. If you're Johnny on the spot and perform when you get your opportunity. Well, not to mention setting yourself up for future years, right? And sure. using every opportunity you have to impress the coaching staff. And you know, I think the point Chet and Burnaby makes is so you look at some of the players that are going and it's wing heavy at the NHL level with Kuzmenko, Besser, Hoaglander, Beauvillier, etc, etc. You know, really the only two key wingers that aren't going are, are Garland and, and Phil Giuseppe. So, you know, I'm going to be fascinated to see where Aturatu does get to play. We've talked a lot about how in an NHL setting, he's mostly played on the wing. Does he get a chance to play down the middle with someone like a Brock Besser, right? Like, that, yeah. I think, that's the kind of thing that could be a big opportunity. I would like to see him play with Dries and Pod Colson. Or Pod Colson's not up, though. Okay, no, so Pod Colson I didn't like, get called up. Neither did Dries. Neither so, did Dries, because Dries would have to go back on waivers, so right? So I would like to see him, well, I would like to see him play with players he might actually play with. Like, maybe it's Baines, Ratu, Carlson. Mm. Like, I would like to see him... Be, like they, you might as well use this opportunity to get him reps with the players that will likely flank him and compliment him once the American League season starts. To me, that's more valuable. I get that, but they also like they have they have to put the NHL players with somebody, right? And they only have one NHL center, well, yeah, really. Suter, Suter. I mean, I guess you could move Niels Amon to play center, and it's not hard to envision yeah. a world where Suter, Besser, Kuzmenko, Kuzmenko is your top line. It, well, it, you know because. If you played Suter with Besser and Kuzmenko and Miller and Pedersen just to like give yourself a different look one night, you know you could see that mm-hmm, you could mm-hmm. see that happening in in a certain match in a real game, yeah, yeah potentially, yeah. It's uh, it, it's those reps be, can be valuable. Uh, Chad and Burnaby says I don't even want to see Ratu play great. I just want to see one good play by him to feel good about him. I do think Ratu has kind of got like there's been this He's played well. I, I've, well, I've I was really going to say there's been this sense of pessimism about the Canucks young players that people were hoping would come in and kind of grab spots. And that comes from obviously Pod Colson and, uh, you know, Akito Hirose, Jack Rathbone to a certain extent, although he was always kind of on the outside looking in, it seemed like. And I do think I've seen people kind of wrap 
Aturatu into that, right? Like, oh, Aturatu could have come in and grabbed a spot, but he's a lot younger than those other guys that we're talking about. They also didn't really, like, if if he'd had the opportunity to grab a spot, they would have moved him to the wing. And also, you know, he's played well. Like, everything he's been asked to do, he's sort of risen to the task. I mean, are there moments where the foot speed and, and the work he's got to put in on it shows? Mm. I think yes, especially when he's played in the middle. Mm-hmm. But his intelligence, the subtlety of his skill set, I think, has been standout throughout camp. Like, I think he's been really good uh, dating back to Penticton. In fact, I'd put him as one of the guys whose stock is up the highest. Like, Klimovich really struggled. Yes. Both in in Penticton and then, you know, throughout Canucks training camp. Um, McDonough never really seemed to get a shot beyond playing with Max Sasson. Max Sasson, Max Sasson played well. Like Sasson yep. and Ratu for me would be sort of, and and McWard because of the opportunities he's got more because of how he's popped would sort of be on the on my short list of young players who've you know shown a lot over the course of this month. Yeah, I don't think Ratu has done anything to you know. I know even going back to last year that there was some uh, some consternation about his scoring rate in the AHL once he joined, and especially his goal scoring rate once he joined the Abbotsford Canucks, but I don't look at anything that he's done and see it as a cause for concern. And I think in some ways, like, you know, we talk, we've talked a lot about the, um, the less than ideal, let's put it that way, development path that, uh, that Vasily Pod Colson has had. And then, you know, you have other guys like Hirose and McDonough who are so much older than a, a prospect typically entering the AHL. So you really need to see that accelerated development from them. Ratu in my mind is almost kind of, he's the guy who's on like, a very typical and in some ways very logical development path, right? Where at his age and at this point in his career, yeah, he got a taste of the NHL last year and that's fine, but kind of what you want to see from him more than anything is go down to Abbotsford and just play big minutes. He's still at the point in his career where he can do what you feel like he can do a lot of developing in, in the AHL, right? Yeah, and he yeah. has he has the time and the runway to do that developing. So of all the young players, he feels like he's like the most on track of where what you want to see from a prospect like him. And, you know, he's got to do it in Abbotsford. He's got to hold down that position and be a key player for him. But he's in the kind of lane you want to see him in or that type of player in yeah, right now, it feels I, like. I, I agree. And, and taking it slow and giving him some time and – Challenging him to work him to work on his core strength and seeing if he can add a step over the course of this year, like that matters more. You know, there are players who I think will be helped. Uh, let me give you an example. McDonough and Nikita Horose are both older prospects. They don't have a ton of runway. You'd you'd obviously have liked to see them mount more credible challenges to make the NHL roster at this stage of their careers. But you know, we're talking about two players with thirteen combined games of professional experience in North American hockey. Yeah. Like them going down and spending 25 games playing massive roles for the Abbotsford Canucks absolutely helps them, in my view. Oh, yeah. I think the difference between them and Ratu is because they're older. Like, those yeah, first no, 25 games yeah, way a lot, are so much more important, oh, right? Sh- for sure. Ratu has more room to kind of, like, oh, he's still finding himself in Abbotsford, and that's not, like, a panic situation. You know what, then. though? At the age of 21, like, I would hope... You want to see a good performance, I would for sure. hope that he's on pace to score 55-plus points over over a full season in the American League, based on what we see. So, I, I, but I but I, I hear what you're saying. <clears throat> With Pod Colson, though, I just don't see what he's got to learn. 
I mean, he ha- like he has to build his confidence. Yeah. And I guess the question is, can you do that at the AHL level, or does it always come with the asterisk that, yeah, I'm confident at this level, but then am I going to be confident at the NHL level when I go up? Right. Like I don't. I, that's a complicated question. I don't have the answer to it, but I think it's a valid question. If you're Pod Colson, you go down to the American League, you're a tenth overall pick, and you're now 22 years old. Your expectations all of a sudden are fill the net, be mm. the best player, like. In so many ways, it just seems to me like the Canucks have designed a system or, or designed a development path through this training camp, which superficially appears to give him opportunity, but for a player who's struggling with confidence is actually to ask too much. Like, he goes down to the American League, it's like, you should be the best player in the American League. So now, if he goes three, four games to open the season with, like, two assists, now you've got the confidence issue again. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. It's it's but I, like I think the difference between me and you is I almost don't see a way like there's always going to be significant risk of hurting his confidence now even like and I get your development plan of like staple him on the fourth line ask him to play a very specific role I completely understand yeah, that keep it keep it easy but it's still like if you have you know three points in thirty games okay it's great like hey you're a fourth liner it's all right that still has risk of affecting a player's confidence oh, absolutely I think, absolutely you know? but you know you just obviously your hope is that you get a lot more than that, right? Like, that's what you're counting on, and that's what you've got the bodies to do. Like, you you put them on a fourth line with Joshua and Bluger, I mean, there's going to be chances there. You're not going to – none of those guys are coming out of the first 30 games with three points. Even by accident. <laughs> Even by accident, you're deflecting a couple in. You would hope so, but production has been a, a- – Sticking point for Pod Colson. So I don't think it's a guarantee that he goes and meets like a baseline NHL level fourth fourth yeah. line scoring. Well, right? Maybe maybe it's just you know maybe it's just the wrong situation for him. I just you know and I, I hear these people getting mad that like he's getting excuses from the media. But look, you come in, into the NHL having gone through what he went through in Russia, and you've gone you've gone through three coaches, and you've gone backwards. It's not like he hasn't developed. He's gone backwards. Yeah. Like at some point, that's on the club. Uh, some <laughs> period, and I'm not one who's tends to do this, but like this is on the club. Chris and Duncan wants to know if you're choking on a fruit and nut bar. I wish. <laughs> Over there. Uh, okay, I can't well, even tell you what happened there. It was just like <laughs> all of a sudden, a, a, you just got fired up. Yeah, cat got my throat. Uh, we are. Um, we're gonna end a couple minutes early again. It's the oh. Kraken. Yeah, you get ready, buddy. Yeah, you're, you're on right. the spot here. Coming Born up in ready a minute. For this. Uh, it's the it's the Canucks and the Kraken in Abbotsford tonight, streaming on the Canucks YouTube page, and of course, also uh, you can hear Batch here on Sportsnet 650. We will be back tomorrow. Uh, I want to make sure everyone in the control room knows you're not hitting the break when I say Sportsnet 650. Here, we will be back tomorrow. Uh, it is Canucks talk on Sportsnet 650.